Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. That's our theme verse from Matthew chapter 8, verses 2 and 3 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Family Pastor J.C. Thompson continues our series called Encounters with Christ. Today's episode, A Bold Encounter. This week's spiritual practice encourages you to do this. Each day this week, approach God with boldness and ask Him for something only He can do. If you want to watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through the message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch or download the Brookwood Church app. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the Encounters with Christ series. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ. And now, J.C. Thompson. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus' sacrifice for you Yes, even you, enough to make you clean. That when God sees you, he's satisfied with you. And I hope, I hope that you believe that today. And I'm happy to be here. How are y'all? Good. Nice to see y'all again. Um, we are continuing our series entitled Encounters with Christ. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8. You can go ahead and turn there. Uh, we'll be... Just sticking with four verses today, uh, pretty short passage, but I, th- I think it's an important one. So if you turn in your Bible, uh, you'll get to the New Testament. You're right there at Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we'll be in Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 1 today. Uh, I titled today's message, A Bold Encounter. Now, Matthew chapter 8 happens right after Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and this this encounter that you'll see today that we will read about, you'll see that it happens immediately after the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus was teaching uh, applications of the law of Moses. And he was, I mean, he was driving home that living in the kingdom of God should look dramatically different than if you're just living life based on the world's discipleship patterns. And he was also teaching in such a way that the people there recognized him teaching with authority. In fact, they were comparing his teaching to the scribes' teaching and saying that this man must know God. He must understand the scriptures in such a way. He must have had some connection with God in such a way that I just, I fully trust what he's saying to me. And so Jesus taught in in these ways and he was really kind of laying into those who were teaching the law in a way that maybe was benefiting a group of people rather than others Maybe even kind of, they were teaching the law, maybe not even at at its fullest or its utmost in order to excuse some of the behaviors that they had. But Jesus was teaching in such a way that people recognized. I think it's also, for me, like as I think about Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount, sometimes it's hard to kind of recognize. You know, for us, we're sitting here in the air conditioning today. We've got chairs that we're sitting in. They would have been sitting on a mountaintop. Oftentimes, just They'd have found a rock to lean against, right? They would have been standing up for that period of time listening to Jesus preach. And while it's just a a short few chapters to read out loud, Jesus was a a dynamic communicator. And so he probably would have paused and taken some time for people to think, maybe ask some questions. And so, you know, I just think about how wonderful that is as people would have listened to every word that Jesus was saying about the scriptures. And then we've got this passage in 
chapter 8, we see here what's unique and how Matthew separates this is we've got Jesus' authority when it comes to his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and now we're moving into Jesus' authority when it comes to all the things over the earth, including his ability to heal disease. Uh, and so that's what you'll see a snapshot of in today's encounter. I, I titled today A Bold Encounter because I think it's bold both from the man who approaches Jesus in seeking to encounter him, but I think it's also bold from Jesus' response to the man. And so today, if you've got your outline, uh, our first point is just this, a bold encounter with Christ includes my appeal to Christ, my appeal to Christ. Matthew 8, starting in verse 1. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Now, if you haven't read to children in a while, sometimes you'll forget these little words that mean so much that you have to say in such a way to get your kids to lean into every word you're saying. In this, these couple verses, there is one word that I think is very important. As you see these crowds follow Jesus after he's just taught the Sermon on the Mount, it's immediately after him finishing. And so they're coming down. And then you see this word that in every children's story you've ever read, you would say in a particular way to elicit the response from your kid that they should be feeling at this time. And that is suddenly, which means that there was an action taking place, but now something happened that changes what is going on. And so suddenly a man with leprosy, a leper, came and encountered Jesus. He approached him, he knelt before him. The Greek tells us that it wasn't just kneeling on his knees. He would have laid prostrate before the Lord. In other words, his face would have been in the dirt as he was talking to Jesus. And so that suddenly should shock you because Jesus just got done teaching. He was probably a little tired, spending himself emotionally as he would have preaching. Lots of people wanted his attention and then suddenly this man with leprosy came. Now, more than likely, this man had listened to the entire Sermon on the Mount. He was probably hiding so that other people wouldn't have seen him, but most likely he would have jumped out to encounter Jesus. Now, why is this encounter um, so bold from this man's perspective? Well, if you don't know, leprosy was not just a disease that affected you personally. It also would have affected any of the relationships that you would have had with other people. For a man that has leprosy to jump out, it could have been perceived as both completely insensitive, and also very foolish. In fact, many times priests were on record as throwing rocks at lepers in order to keep them away from not only themselves, but the other people that had gathered around them. See, leprosy, we think now today that leprosy would have been a condition that would have attacked the central nervous system. It would have deadened their nerves so that they wouldn't have been able to feel anything. So the scales, uh, lep the Greek word for uh, leprosy means scaly, uh, which is generally how the Bible describes these, these diseases that they see is based on their physical appearance and how they affect someone outwardly. But oftentimes this disease uh, of leprosy would have affected the nerves in such a way that anything they would have touched, they wouldn't have been able to feel. And so think of the things that you feel, maybe even today as you put your shoes on or hit the corner of your bed and how much that hurt. And it tells your body, pain is your body's response to tell it something is not right. Okay? And so lepers would not have felt that. But they also wouldn't have just not felt the negative things. They would have also not felt the positive touch that comes from a loved one. So essentially, these bodies would have been deadened. And because they did not respond to 
uh, these sensations, these physical sensations on their body, they would have also sometimes been a benefit to the community. They would have, we've seen other, other tribes where kids would have gotten things that would have been stuck, unstuck by turning, but they would hurt their hand in doing so, but they would have been able to get a key out of a lock that was stuck. Oftentimes, they would be in a tribal village where they can take a hot pan or a hot stove and take it out of the coals of the fire and move it somewhere else while it is still hot to the touch because they wouldn't be able to feel anything. And while some people might see that as a wonderful benefit to that tribe, it also would have been something that would have physically marred these people for life. In addition to that, the law talks about, the law of Moses talks about how to not only verify that someone has leprosy, but how to treat someone that has uh, gotten this disease. They would have been removed from the community. They would have had to be isolated because it would have been contagious. And in addition to that, anytime they would have come into contact, if they had to get food or water from the town, they would have had to announce out loud, as loud as they could, anytime they saw someone, that they were unclean and they would have yelled, unclean, unclean. So you could imagine what that would do not only to you physically, but also what that would do to you emotionally as you share what may be your greatest wound in life out loud to a group of people you've never met before. In fact, there are often times where we see some of the, the physical boundaries of people that if it's not a windy day, you could get within six feet of someone with leprosy, but if the wind was blowing, you were to stay up to 150 feet away from someone. So you could imagine not only the physical torment that this would take on a body, but the emotional torment as they are relationally changed forever. But in spite of this man's condition, that everyone would have noticed physically, and in spite of society's approach to his condition, this man approaches Jesus Christ in a way that all of us should emulate. First, he approaches Christ with confidence in spite of the fact that his status may be an obstacle to some. Regardless of that, he leans on Christ's authority to come close to him. Second, he approaches Jesus with worship as he falls on the ground with his face to the floor, calling him Lord. Third, he approached Jesus with humility, that even though he approaches with such boldness, he also does so in a way that is humble, indicating that Jesus does not have to heal him, but instead asking the question, if you are willing. Fourth, he expresses faith in Jesus, not just to heal him physically, but also to change him and make him fully clean in his identity as a human being. This man should be a model for us when it comes to our approach to Christ. Now for some of us, approaching Christ in such a way with boldness is a challenge for us. We see our great need, sometimes brought on by our sin or our past. Sometimes we see our great struggle that we were in whether it be physical or something going on with our family or in our community, and we wonder, is God grace, is his grace enough for me? But oftentimes there are others of us who struggle with the humility aspect of thinking that somehow if my words are right, if my method of prayer is enough, if I pray enough times or with enough emotional intensity that God will grant my request. But I think each of these characteristics 
should work alongside one another as we seek to approach God with our great need. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4 expresses this in this way as Hebrews 4 expresses how Jesus Christ is our faithful and high priest in such a way that he lived in human flesh and yet he did not sin, tempted in every way that we are, yet he was without sin. It says this, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. God is gracious towards you. And you must learn that. You must learn his grace is enough for you. And even when he gives out his grace in generous amounts, he still has enough grace for you. How, how, somebody this morning, in fact, Gene, I think it was you this morning when we were praying here before the service, um, Gene asked, how, how can we do that? Like, how can we as human beings both be so bold to approach God in this way and yet also so humble? And I think it comes from these two things that we must always continue to seek to grow in. Our, our boldness with God comes from our understanding of how gracious he is, how powerful he is how he desires for us to pray. So our understanding of who God is should cause us to approach him boldly. But our humility comes from our understanding of who we are, that we deserve nothing from God. We've earned nothing in accordance with him. And so when we hold those two things true, that yes, we... We are a human being made in the, dig- the, the image of God, and so we have dignity and value. But we are nothing from God. And when we also hold that God generously seeks to bestow his grace on those who love him, when we hold both of those things, when we approach him in prayer, we can do so with a bold attitude and a humble heart. But we must do those things. This man understood that. This man exercised his faith in a way that just showed he wanted healing from God. Oftentimes, we maybe don't approach God with such boldness. We kind of caveat our suggestion to him rather than asking him, please bring us healing. We kind of throw it out there as an extra when it comes to our prayers. For me, when you think about your life, do you have a great need? Do you present it to God as it truthfully is or do you seek to kind of shape it up in a way and present it to God in a, maybe a superficial way rather than be honest with what you truly need? For some of us, it may not be physical healing. It may be a relationship or a conflict. It may be some experience in your past that while you know God's grace is big enough, you don't accept that as truth in your own heart and life. What is your issue that you should bring to God today? What aspect of this man's approach to Jesus should you seek to model in your own life? We also see a bold encounter with Christ includes Christ's answer to me, verse 3. Jesus reached out and touched him. Now, I cannot go too far before I explain to you how incredibly shocking this would have been to anyone who would have been an onlooker. This man, stricken with leprosy, who would have been unclean according to society's standards and according to the law of Moses, 
inserts himself into a situation where people would have been shocked that he was even there. And as shocking as this man's step towards Christ was, what is even more shocking is that Jesus reached out and touched him. Now, just to be clear, the Greek does not mean a spiritual touch. The Greek does not mean that his heart went out and touched his heart. The scriptures say that he physically, with his hand, touched this man. This is such a large thing that Jesus would have done. Jesus, this man who just taught with such authority that everyone was amazed by the words that were coming out of his mouth, just did something with his life that would have turned anybody who thought, oh yeah, this is the right thing to teach, it would have just turned it upside down. What he did would have been so shocking to anyone, including the leper. Jesus did not need to touch this man physically in order to heal him. We see many instances of this in Scripture where with a word, we remember a Roman centurion said he didn't have to show up on the spot. He could just say a word and heal. And so even though physical touch wasn't a necessity to heal this man's disease, Jesus touched him anyway. See, Jesus was not only concerned about this man's disease and how it would have affected his daily life. He was concerned with his very identity as a human being. He was concerned about what maybe was his biggest need, a lack of love and acceptance from others. A man that would have been told by everyone around him, including himself, that he was unclean would have had to announce to everyone before he got close who he was, most likely lived his life in isolation except for the community of lepers that he would have been a part of. The first touch that he would have felt again was the touch of God himself. See, this may have been the first touch this man would have felt physically, period, both painful or loving, But did you know that science teaches us that our skin actually has things in in their cells that allow us to get an emotional response from a physical touch? In fact, Dr. John Reeves, a clinical psychologist from the University of Washington, says this, touch is our first language and one of our core needs. The touch of a safe, trusted loved one can alleviate anxiety and promote a sense of well-being without doing anything anything else. In other words, a safe, appropriate touch from someone can alleviate anxiety. The first love that this man's skin would have felt was from Jesus himself. Fathers, mothers, grandfathers, grandmothers, Your kids need safe, appropriate touch. They need a pat on the back. They need to be thrown in the air. They need to be tickled. They need hugs and kisses. 
They need love from their family. And one of the primary ways that you can show your children love is by an appropriate and safe touch. But it's not just kids that need that. As adults, we need that. We need a hand on our shoulder telling us that we can do it. We need a pat on the back telling us, good job. We need high fives and fist bumps. We need elbow rubs. God made us to feel emotions when we are touched in a loving and appropriate way. And listen, I'm not an expert on marriage, but I know there are a lot of things in marriage that you could just help with simply grabbing your spouse's hand, letting them know that they are seen and valued and loved and cared for. It's why y'all like to get handshakes and hugs when y'all come in this place. Because it matters. It feels good. And can I just say this as your pastor? Now, I'm, I turned 35 this week, which my kids tell me is old. But I have grown up with technology. I played Oregon Trail in kindergarten, okay, on a computer, an iMac, okay? So I've grown up in a different era than many of you might have grown up. And as much as I love some of the things that are happening in our world via technology, I will tell you that the scriptures are clear in this. We must not avoid the assembling of ourselves together. I personally think that means physical gathering. And I think this story, this encounter with Jesus, shows us the importance of being physically in proximity with one another, but the power of positive, loving, safe, and appropriate touch. I think that Jesus did not have to come. God makes up the rules, right? He didn't have to come in a body if God didn't want him to. He could have said a word and saved us all. So there is something specific and important that we need to understand about what it means to live in a human body. And so if you're listening online, I'm thankful that you're listening to me online, but I wanna see you back here. We need hugs, we need handshakes, we need to join each other's voices, however bad they may be, and we need to give testimony of God's goodness in our life. And so I'll just share with you, come to the church. Come to the local church. Yes, you can clap for that. And listen, if you're sick, stay home. I'm not, this is not a political statement. It's not anything about that. It is about what the scriptures teach us, how we should live our lives. And forsaking the assembly of ourselves is a sin according to the Bible. So we need to be here. I need to be here and you need to be here. What message do you think is sent to your children, your spouse, your family, your friends when you give them a kind and appropriate touch? Pat in the back, squeeze of the hand, A gentle hug, a high five communicates that I see you, I value you, and I love you. What message would you like someone to feel by you being in proximity to them? But Jesus didn't just touch this man. The second part of verse three says this. 
I am willing, Jesus said. Be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. See, Jesus not only touched this unclean man, but he expressed his desire to heal him and then fulfilled his healing by watching the leprosy disappear from this man's skin. The Greek word here is katharizo. I got trouble with the D, I'm sorry. The DZ is weird for me in Greek, I apologize. But katharizo. And it means to be cleansed. It didn't just speak of physical healing. It actually means the picture that the Greek gives us is, say you've got a bowl with a bunch of stuff mixed in, and it takes every impurity out of that bowl, so you're only left with that pure water. You're left with that. Jesus was literally taking the disease out of this man, leaving only the body that God would have created. And this word spoke not only to the physical healing that this man received, but it also, by using the word, be cleansed, it spoke of the finality of healing, but also that this would have impacted this man's standing in society. He was announcing to an unclean man, be clean. Jesus heals his physical affliction and moves this man from unclean and stricken with leprosy to healed from leprosy and clean according to the law of Moses. Jesus gives him a new identity just as he does for us when we become regenerated. Jesus, by healing this man from this disease that afflicted his nervous system, is now pronouncing him able to go back into society and participate as a clean person again. But not only did Jesus heal this man, but he, did also, he also did not become unclean when he did so. Jesus remained clean by touching this man physically, meeting his emotional need, healing him physically, showing that he did not even become unclean by touching this man. In fact, this man became clean at the touch of Jesus. Everything in our life that is unclean according to the law, according to the scriptures, Jesus makes clean with his blood. And when it comes to our boldness, of our request to God, we also have to understand that God not only matches this man's boldness, but he went one step further. Oftentimes we think that the request we bring to God is so big, so huge, that we need to hide our face after we share that request. And yet God's generosity never runs dry. He always has more grace for those who seek him. Now the picture that I have of this, and I don't know if this works at self out in every family, but I know oftentimes families have a yes parent and a no parent. I don't know if that's true or not in every family, but oftentimes your kids know very quickly who's the yes parent and the no parent, and you see it in how they make their request, right? When they make their request to a no parent, probably because the yes parent is not around. <laughs> they drop their head and they kind of shrug in, you know, they're, hey, I know I just had dinner and I just had a cookie, but if it's not too much, could I just maybe have a half of another cookie, please? But when they have the yes parent, their request is more like this. 
hey, I know I've had one cookie, but there's a whole bag right there that nobody's eaten. Can I have some of that? The difference that we have in our approach to God based on how we view him, oftentimes coming from our own parents, alters how we approach God in our prayers. But the scriptures teach us God approaches us with grace, with the power to do anything he desires. And while that doesn't mean that he says yes to every request, it does mean that he always does what's best for you, no matter what. Do you doubt God's power in your overwhelming, burdensome situation? Do you believe that there's enough grace even for you? Jesus would have just taught this piece of scripture in Matthew chapter seven, verse 11, explaining to people how God approaches their request. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? God wants to give good gifts to his children. So here's a question for you. Do you doubt God's goodness based on the great need that you have in your own life? Do you prioritize your great need over God's great grace? Will you ask God for a good gift today? A bold encounter with Christ also includes affirmation from God's word. Affirmation from God's word. Verse four. Then Jesus said to him, Don't tell anyone about this. Which can I just say, seriously, Jesus? You would have seen wounds disappear. You would have heard his loving words to you saying, be clean. You would have felt a loving touch from God himself. And yet Jesus says to this man, don't tell anybody about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Jesus, after healing this man, afflicted with leprosy, tells him not to tell anyone publicly about this miracle. But Jesus does tell him to go to the priest. But it begs the question, why would Jesus tell anyone who had just not experienced a miracle, why would Jesus tell them not to announce it publicly, not to yell down the mountainside as they go home that they are clean. Jesus has made me clean. Why would Jesus do that? Now, my opinion is that, and we see this numerous times throughout the Gospels, where they wanted to make Jesus king, and they wanted to make him their kind of king, one that was essentially a magician that provided for their physical needs or their physical pleasures. And Jesus was not interested in that. Jesus was interested in fulfilling the mission that God had given to him to be the Messiah, to live in a life faithful to the way of the law, obediently to God himself, to usher in the kingdom of God, and then finally be tortured, betrayed, and die sacrificially a death on the cross that would cleanse, forgive all of our sins. Jesus was so focused on his mission that he knew that there would have been people who wanted to move him onto a different mission. 
And so Jesus, by asking this man not to tell anyone publicly, would have made sure that he would not have gathered too large a following too quickly, created a ruckus, but also that these people would not have made him their king in the way that they wanted. I think it's also important for us to understand that Jesus, while he railed against some of these religious leaders in the way that they were living their life according to the law of Moses, he immediately sends this man to the priest. And I think he does that for two reasons. One, if if you're not careful, you'll be mistaught that Jesus was opposed to the law. He was not opposed to the law. In fact, Jesus fulfilled the letter of the law. In fact, he even went further and he manifested the intention and the heart behind the law. Jesus was fully law keeper. Never take on that Jesus disregarded the Old Testament. That's so far from the picture we have of Jesus Christ. His fulfillment of the law makes his sacrifice the right sacrifice for us. But Jesus also knew that the religious leaders at one time would become his enemy. And so by sending this man who was cleansed to the priest to follow the law laid out in Leviticus 14 for what it would have been made, what he would have had to do as an offering to be fully inserted back into society. By doing that, this priest who would have had training in figuring out was this man truly healed would have had to stamp this healing as verified healing and cleansing from leprosy. And it's difficult to be an enemy of this man who can heal leprous diseases, put your stamp on it, and then later on go, well, he didn't really heal that person. That was some trick. And so Jesus, by sending this man back to the priest, would have gotten verification from the religious leaders that he was truly healed. And I wonder what that priest would have thought as Jesus becomes the Messiah and had not sinned, knowing what this priest knows about these diseases being cleansed, how rare they would have been, verifying it based on the law. You have to wonder what would have went through his head and his heart when Jesus sacrifices himself and dies. Now, the sacrifice that they were called to make was to take two birds and to kill one bird and sprinkle blood on the clean bird. Both of these birds would have been clean. One of them would have been sacrificed and the other would have been covered in the blood of the sacrifice. A picture for us of what it means to be clean and free. Then the priest would have sprinkled the blood from the sacrificed bird on the person who was cleansed from leprosy And in addition to that, they would take that bird, they would tie a scarlet thread on his foot along with a branch and they would set it free as a testimony of the freedom available to us in Christ at the blood sacrifice of Jesus, but also a testimony that someone had been cleansed from leprosy. Such a wonderful picture for us. Jesus' blood covering us, making us clean and us being able to live the freedom of a life regenerated and made new by the Holy Spirit. Jesus displays here that he is not throwing out the law. Instead, he is affirming the law, its impact on Jewish life, and also he is using the process that God put in place 
to affirm that this man truly was cleansed from leprosy. While this man's scales being immediately gone would have been physical confirmation enough for some, it's possible that momentarily they could have disappeared and entered back into society and then everyone is at risk again. And so him being verified for more than a week by the priest that he was truly healed from this disease was a benefit to everyone. It's important for us having a significant need met by God himself to not only share the testimony of our deliverance from God with others, but to understand that this gift comes from God and God alone. It is no man's prayer. It is not the process of the pastors or the church. It is God's graciousness on your behalf that truly heals. And I think it's also important for us to understand that the scriptures don't just teach about physical healing. They they ask us, even as churchgoers, to present ourselves to God with both clean hands and a pure heart. The Psalms are explicit in teaching that people, the only people that will stand forever with God are those with clean hands and a pure heart. Jesus' ability to cleanse our hands is crucial for us in being able to be with him forever. Jesus not only cleansed this man's hands that would have had physical wounds all over them, but he sent him to the priest so that he would be included in society again. Now, while the focus of this man's story is on the man's healing, we have got to wonder what onlookers would have thought. Watching wounds disappear before your very eyes after you had just recognized the authority with which he was teaching, you would have to walk away thinking, this man is different. For some, their response to Jesus would have been worship in awe. For others, it might have been sheer terror at this man's power to heal disease. It's also important for us to understand that many of the people who would eventually have issues with Jesus, they would have affirmed what Jesus did by this man being healed of leprosy. Jesus also immediately gives this man a commandment to obey. Much like us, when we become a follower of Jesus, we now have work to do. I know some of us might think that the life of freedom in Christ means leisure, relaxation, time off, but it is the very opposite of that. God created work for us to do, which brings us satisfaction and joy. And as a follower of Jesus, we have things that we're to accomplish here. The miracle of our salvation results in the obedience and compliance to the word of God. We must invest ourselves in the scriptures and we must seek to align our life with what God says, not hoping that God will be okay with what we want him to be okay with. What is the miracle that you need from God today? Is it a healing of a loved one? Is it salvation? Maybe it's something in your past that you just want to receive confirmation that God has forgiven. And while we trust that physical healing will happen to everyone who is a child of God in the next life, we believe that God still heals today. And we also believe, and we do this every single week here, 
when we have our care volunteers come down front, they follow what we believe the scriptures teach us in James, that if you have a need of physical healing, that you're to come to the church, present yourself to the elders. You're to request healing, and they're to lay their hands on you, anoint you with oil, and pray for that healing. And we believe that process. It's why every week we have people down here ready to receive you. And so if you need someone, if you know of someone who needs healing, we would just ask you to come and pray. If that's you, we understand how bold it is to come down front and ask for healing. This man shows us a model for what that looks like. What will people think is an emotional response that you will have to overcome. Boldness in prayer means we trust the God of this world and we trust the church and the scriptures that he gave us to ask God for healing. And when you get healed, you're to share it with us. See, when you share a testimony of God working in your life, it's not just beneficial for the family of God. And let me tell you, it's beneficial for the family of God. When somebody gets healed and we hear about it, we don't go, oh yeah, it's normal. Yeah. We celebrate what God is doing. We celebrate that God still heals. But it is also a signal to those who may not believe. God is moving. And so if you've been healed, if you've had something miraculous happen in your life, we want to hear those things. Share them with our volunteers who are down front. And if today you thought, I am too dirty to become clean in the eyes of God, let me assure you, God's grace is enough for you. It's enough for you. Come down front, express your desire to meet Jesus. Let's pray. God, as our care volunteers are down front, we ask you, we ask you boldly, there are people in our church that need healing. So God, heal. God, there are people in this room today that need salvation. And so God, we pray you speak, you convict of sin, and you offer your forgiveness and grace to them. Now, there are people listening online right now to our service and they need something from you. God, I pray that they would share their need the way the scriptures ask us to with the church. And I pray that as the family of God, we would lift up the people that have requests today and we would be praying for them as they come down front, asking our good Father to grant their requests. And God, I pray if there's people in here today that maybe you have said no to their request for healing, God, help them to recognize how you've said yes to them in other lives. And God, help them to look forward to the day that they can approach God the Father with clean hands, a pure heart, healed from every affliction and disease, celebrating a life with you forever. We love you. And we ask that you move on our behalf today because of your faithfulness, because of your love, because of your grace. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray these things and all God's people said, amen. Thank you all for being here. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy 
and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week.